Hello, and welcome to episode 85 of Locked On Canadians, your daily Habs fix, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We are your daily Habs show, and lately it's been a chronicle of misery, uncertainty, and disappointment, but the Habs gave us something really nice to talk about tonight. My name is Laura Saba, and you might know me as The Active Stick. And I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Scott Matla. Scott, how are you doing? I'm I'm good, because the Canadians won, but I'm also realizing I'm pretty sure I'm a jinx for this team anytime they come to Buffalo. So I think I'm banned from attending Canadians games in Buffalo from now on, I'm pretty sure. I think you're banned from attending all Canadians games, because when you came here, too, it was a terrible result. Okay, well, see, that's the thing is, one, it was cool, because I saw two goalies get a registered shutout, but I saw a game at the Bell Center where neither team scored a goal in regulation, and that was my first and only trip to the Bell Center, was I saw a game with zero actual goals scored in it. Just to be safe, when the Canadians are finally good again, and when they start making the playoffs again, and when they go far in the playoffs, and if they ever get to the Stanley Cup, you are not allowed in the building. I mean, harsh, but fair, I guess. But I mean, I don't know what will come first, you know, my inevitable <laughs> demise or the Canadians winning the Stanley Cup again. Well, the way it's been lately, it doesn't look really good, but... At least the Habs took a break from losing games tonight. And before we get into actually discussing and recapping the game, I have a couple of things to say. So normally, I try very hard to just enjoy doing this podcast, and I try to avoid looking at the analytics and the back end. But as you know, because I shouted you guys out earlier this week, I have been looking at it this week. And I kind of had in my head a secret, like, number, a total number of listens that I wanted to achieve in the month of January. And at the time that we're recording this, we have surpassed it by over a thousand listens. And when I say we, I mean you. So I want to thank all of our listeners. Like, this has been, you know, given the Habs haven't been doing very well, if this has been unexpected, but also, like, just so encouraging to know that you guys are listening you're listening from all over the world you're giving us feedback and my favorite thing is that today both Scott and I were having terrible days on our regular jobs and then one of our listeners Ryan said inspired by listening to Locked On Canadians decided to surprise the boys with a trip to the game to Buffalo and so I'm glad that the Habs won for you But my heart just grew a million sizes when I saw that. And the thing that I find the best is that yesterday on or on yesterday's episode, Scott was talking about how he didn't want to go to the Buffalo game and how it always ends up disastrously. And that inspired somebody to go. And so we've established that Scott's not allowed. But Ryan, you always have to go. In my defense, with the way the first period went tonight, I almost look like a goddamn genius for not going to this game. Let's be fully upfront with that right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that, that first period was terrifying. And it wasn't even like, it was like, oh, more of the same, you know, people were sort of resigned. It was like done. It was like zero. What was it? Zero and eight? 
Yeah, like like the Buffalo got like the first eight shots. It took Montreal over half the period. I'm pretty sure to register a shot on net, and I'm pretty sure it was like a long range like wrist shot from the point or something. Watching that first period was so painful because I'm like, it's just like, come on, just do it. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger yelling at the Predator. It's like, just do it. I'm right here. Just put me out of my misery so I can go do something else tonight. And Montreal decided, hey, wait a minute, we're better than the Sabres, and for the next 40 minutes, kick the crap out of them in front of their fans so badly that at the end of the game, Jack Eichel had a giant temper tantrum again. There were so many things that happened in that game. Honestly, it did not reflect overall, did not reflect very well on Buffalo for a lot of reasons. It's really funny that the last time we talked, we were previewing the Buffalo game. They were still in the middle of their game against Ottawa. They were tied 2-2. And then by the time we finished recording, I went to look at what the final score ended up being, and it was 5-2 to Ottawa. So when the Habs started out the game not doing very well, I was like, how bad can the Habs possibly be that they don't have a shot and goal yet, and Buffalo already has a goal? A couple of things that we want to mention about the game, because it is Friday, it is our mailbag episode, and we thank you guys for uh, for all your questions. And we've got, like a, I think, a, a really healthy mix of hockey and non-hockey questions today. But I wanted to bring up real quick, after I, 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 I'm reading from my notes, I put down Scott is the jinx, but he brought it up <laughs> before I, I had a chance to. What's our nightly Nick Suzuki moment of the night? Still real, real good. Even though he had two primary assists on the night, I think it was late in the second period, he went darting in and he just went through two defenders to get a scoring chance. He's growing so much every single game. It's like, I know that we don't say this enough, but like, Nick Suzuki's really, really damn good. And I know we talked about it before the game. Um, looking at the rookie scoring race, and I know you wrote this down, uh, Nick Suzuki has 30 points in 52 games. He is two points behind Dominic Kubalik for fourth and just seven points behind Cal McCarr for first in the rookie scoring race. And I'm looking at some of these teams that are, or these players in front of him. Kubalik plays with Patrick Kane. Cal McCarr plays on a good team. Quinn Hughes plays on somehow the Pacific leading, you know, Canucks. And Victor Olofsson got to play with Jack Eichel for most of the year. Nick Suzuki started the year on the fourth line and is still managing to keep pretty decent pace with these guys. We say it so much, but it can't be said enough. Nick Suzuki and Thomas Tatar both being as good as they've been makes that Max Pacioretty trade so, so good by Mark Bergevin. It just cannot be understated. It turned out much better than we would have expected. I think we thought it would have been good. I don't think that we thought it would have been this good. There were a couple of people telling us, you know, Nick Suzuki, you guys got a great guy in Nick Suzuki. But I had to see it with my own eyes, and I still can't believe how good he is. And I'm just, I'm so excited for him. I'm so excited about him. I love it. I, you know, he's he's so close to, to being in the mix, I think. I don't. I don't necessarily think you would have to win like the Calder Trophy or get nominated just to get recognized. I think people everywhere have, you know, they, they, they even say things like, I hate your team, but I love watching Nick Suzuki. So, you know what? I think, I think he's being noticed and, and he deserves every moment of it. And, you know, for a coach who has 
a reputation for not playing younger players or not developing young, younger players well enough. I mean, look at the guy, right? You said it yourself. He started out the year on the fourth line. And now the coach and the organization is recognizing his talent. They're giving him the chances to shine. And honestly, like it, it's only going up. And, and ev- like if, if the Canadians don't end up making the playoffs and after all the injuries and the losing streaks, the brightest spot is going to be Nick Suzuki and there's no contest. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you. And a lot of people, you know, Twitter was up in arms. Shocking. I know about uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi being a scratch tonight. And before I'm not going to lambast and slander Claude Julian with anything because if this was just a one-game mental break for a 19-year-old, it's not the end of the world, and I don't see it being a big deal. Obviously, we can revisit this after this weekend if he's, you know, a healthy scratch in a couple more games, but giving him one night off after he's kind of had some hiccups over the course of the year and recovering from the concussion and everything else is fine. We've seen he knows what he's doing with Nick Suzuki. Suzuki is older than Kotkaniemi. It's hard to forget. It's hard to remember that sometimes. So maybe, you know, let's take a break here and realize it's not the end of the world that Kotkaniemi was a scratch. It's just part of the process with that. But obviously we can revisit that. But yes, Nick Suzuki is the bright spot of this Canadian's team. Thomas Tatar continues to be a bright spot in this team. And even Carey Price, minus November, has been really good for the team this year. And we're going to say a couple more things about this game before we move on to our mailbag. And we're going to do that in our next segment that's coming right up next. It's Friday, which means this, I think this week you guys got two, two mailbag episodes. We gave you a bonus mailbag episode, but mostly because we stole it from you last week by having Shana Goldman on. Uh, which remains one of the most fun episodes we've done, honestly. Like, it was truly a wonderful conversation. But before we get to the mailbag for today, we have a couple more things to say about this game. Uh, we haven't even touched on Brendan Gallagher being back. Yeah, and hopefully, like, back, back. Not, eh, he's back. He looked so good tonight. And I don't hesitate to say he was the difference maker in this game. His goal was absolutely incredible. Taking that pass from Tatar, pulling it to his forehand, and then back to his backhand, and putting Carter Hutton, you know, basically on his butt scrambling to score that goal. And then even late, and I believe it was the second or third period, he took off and he went through two defenders on a breakaway and almost scored again. Brendan Gallagher looks like he hasn't missed 10 of 11 games, or he's just making up for lost time. This team is so different with him in the lineup, and it's a good different. Like, Ilya Kovalchuk had a really strong game playing with the Ol' Armia tonight, and to think, Jonathan Drouin still is coming back at some point, too, and Kotkaniemi wasn't in the lineup. It's so tantalizing seeing what this team looks like as these pieces start to fit back into place there. It just goes to show this season would have been completely different if we didn't have the injuries that we did end up having, I, I distinctly remember very early on in the season, we talked about how the Habs had been lucky to that point with injuries. And then shortly after Jonathan Duran went down, but I also think it's a blessing in disguise because it did show that the team is still far from a Stanley cup window and there's still a lot of work to be done. 
it just bums me out that the Canadians aren't going to make the playoffs and that had all of their, had their lineup been healthy, had they been lucky on the injury front, we'd be, we'd, we'd be talking at least a first round appearance, but you know what? There's no, like, we can't just, we can't dwell on that. The one thing that I do want to bring up before we truly, truly, uh, no, I have two more things to say. <laughs> one is we didn't even talk about the Kovalchuk goal. Which, it was gorgeous. <laughs> right? It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And then the other thing is that we wanted to talk about Rasmus Ristolainen being possibly the dumbest person on the planet. So earlier in the game, because TSN wasn't really following behind the play, like it makes sense. Apparently Ristolainen, you know, was kind of poking at Shea Weber and Shea Weber gave him a, you know, hearty shove in the back behind the play, but nothing too crazy. And then late in the third on a Sabres power play, uh, Ristolainen's in front of the net and he, you know, starts pushing and shoving with anyone within reach. So Nate Thompson, the smallest guy, Ben Sherratt, bigger and more handsome and then Shea Weber biggest and handsomest and then he like shoves Weber down and like trips him from behind and gets his helmet taken off and then Weber comes up and just kind of like an angry bear attacks this guy and I gotta think how dumb do you have to be to piss off Shea Weber out of anyone on the Canadians team that's got to be like number one where if you're a coach you go okay look literally anybody else but like that guy he will turn you into mush on the ice. He will turn you into finish pudding on the ice if you make him angry. And I know Ristolainen's a big guy, but Shea Weber's got, like, dad strength, and he's built like a tree trunk that hurts when he hits you. Like, come on, you gotta be smarter than that. Like, really. Rasmus Ristolainen, I mean, really. <laughs> Is it time for a mailbag question? It is time for the mailbag questions. We've got a few here, and I will be reading them off. I'm going to start to right at the top from where Laura sent them to me earlier. <laughs> and the first one comes from Benjamin Sewell, and this kind of relates to what we talked about in our first segment. If you had your time over again, would you select Kotkaniemi again in the draft or go in a different direction? So this is where I'm going to lean on you for your expertise, because I don't even remember who was available around that time. So in that draft, it was Dalin went number one, Svechnikov went number two, Kotkaniemi went number three, and then I believe Brady Kachuk went four. Um, Quinn Hughes and Zadina and stuff were after that, though. And I know the number one debate was, should they take Brady Kachuk or should they take Kotkaniemi the center? And they opted for Kotkaniemi, so... I think because it's the Habs and because Kotkaniemi's a center, I probably would have done the same thing except because the thing is like if you had a time machine obviously um it would make sense like I don't know like even even Quinn Hughes I I I can't I can't, you know like it was a top three pick and the two that I would have wanted are were not available even even so it's so hard to say because it's like it's what is it it's like two years later what yeah, are we this talking is year yeah, two like, of, like literally uh, two years yeah yeah so it's so hard to say what's going to happen, but at the same time, like, there's a, there's a lot of debate about whether or not they, they were going to take Zadina, right? Yeah, Zadina was the general consensus of what assume, people assumed the Canadians were going to take at number three. He was the big sniper from Halifax, so... It's, it's, it's so... Because I know the philosophy is you just, you take the best player available, right? 
Yes. But it's the Canadians, and they've had so much trouble trying to get centers and trying to develop centers and trying to draft big guys who can be centers. And so, I don't know, I just, I think, like, and, and this is, like, ingrained, like, from, like, the last, like, you know, 15 years of, of Habs fandom. I don't know that I would have made a different choice, but I feel like this question is premature. <laughs> I feel like we need more of their careers to answer this question properly. Yeah, like right now it's very easy to look and just be like, Brady Kachuk's better. Yeah, Brady Kachuk's also older and plays on, you know, the Senators' top line with the best players. It's it's like you said, you don't want to rush to judgment on this, so I'm kind of right there with you on that. So, um, Next up, from Jeff the Red, uh, if you were putting money on it, what odds would you take for Kovalchuk being a have after the trade deadline, or would you rather just play the slots? So, fun fact about me is that I've never actually gambled except for friendly wagers on sports events, like, you know, like the one we did with the World Juniors, which I won. I Like, I don't, I don't know about that, but here's what I will say, is that I do believe that Kovalchuk will still be a hab after the deadline. I don't think, like, the chances that he will be a hab after free agency are infin- I don't even know how to pronounce that word, but I'm going to say infinitesim- infinitesimally, infinitesimally, whatever that word is, small. Yeah, it's, I want him to be a member of the Canadians for as long as possible, but at a certain point in time, you just kind of go, eh, the deal might be a little too good to pass up, I think. And that's, I know, sometimes a tough pill to swallow, especially with as good as he's been in a Canadians uniform. I do think he'll make it through the trade deadline, but... Uh, like you said, I think someone will give him decent money in the offseason. He's going to go to where he thinks he's got the biggest chance of winning a Stanley Cup. I think that at this stage in his career, given his talent level, given his ability, given how long, you know, he had to, like, live without being in the playoffs and then, you know, coming so close and not winning – I, I truly feel like his 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 idea right now, like, I don't know if you saw, there was a story that he bought a place in L.A. Like, he clearly, you know, is happy, like, with the city there. That's where he wants to, like, establish his life. But I do think that he's going to look at all the teams. He's going to look at the one that he thinks is the closest to a Stanley Cup, sign with them, potentially for, like, not as cheap a contract, obviously, but a fairly cheap contract, I would I would think. Anyway. But that's that's not that was not the question. The question was a trade deadline, and I think he's still going to be a hab after that. So um, we have one more question before we go into our next ad break, and this comes from our regular listener, Paul Brand Show. It's an answer we'd like from our analytics expert that we teased, and we will ask them this question when we have them on in the coming days or so. Um, when considering a player to acquire or to move, are the analytics for that player a true representation of his skill or his ability within a team system? Specifically, he mentioned Mark Edward Vlasic is hot garbage analytics-wise in front of his net. Is it purely his talent or is it a byproduct of how he is used in the shark system? Could a different system use him differently, more effectively, improving his underlying numbers? And before you answer, Laura, I just want to vaguely gesture at Ilya Kovalchuk in Montreal versus Ilya Kovalchuk in L.A., and use that as my answer for this question. <laughs> you know what? There, there there are two things at play here. 
very often when you're looking at analytics, you're not just looking at one specific situation, you're looking at overall situations. And if you see a player that is constantly dragging their line mate or their defensive partner down or is always in the wrong place and allowing too many shots and, you know, like that kind of stuff, Chances are the player isn't going to be able to, even in your system, do well. But there's always exceptions to that, and that's not a hard and fast rule. And the reason that I say this is because when the Canadians signed Bet Sherrod in the offseason, everybody was like, he's just going to be bleeding shots and goals. And it's not like he get his, his tenure here hasn't been perfect. By no means has he been doing that. But he's been played in situations where his weaknesses have been masked and his strengths have come out. So, the, like, a big factor is coaching, obviously. But if you're looking at analytics, especially if you're thinking about whether or not you want to give up assets for a player or you want to sign them to a contract, you have to look at as many, uh, I guess, pieces of the pie, as many aspects of the picture as you possibly can, because you have to also make the calculation, maybe in, in the situation that you're at, that you were talking about, you have to make the calculation where like, if this player does in fact play it, like if this player, if I think that this player is going to do well in my own system, do I also have the personnel on that system to play with this player who will either not be dragged down by them or at the very least, neutralize them. And so anytime you're planning an acquisition based on neutralizing, that's never a good thing. And that that's what I'm going to say about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, you do, I think it you need some consideration for it. Obviously, I'm not a genius on this kind of thing. But like, look at Max Domi. He was not very good in Arizona in his final years, came to Montreal and kind of had a rebirth. Ben Sherratt was a revelation after a couple of rough games. Jeff Petrie coming out of Edmonton, everyone in Edmonton was, you know, oh, he's, you know, a turnstile. He's not good at this, and he's not good at this. And then he came to Montreal, and he developed into a top-two defenseman pretty quickly. Sometimes it just takes a better coach or a new system. And I think I'm still not sold on Mark Edward Vlasic, and you can't sell me on Mark Edward Vlasic right now. I'm not allowing it. But I am very open to hearing what, you know, some of our future guests might have to say on that kind of thing. I truly am curious. And, you know, that this kind of comes at a time where obviously we said we were going to wait until after the weekend games to pass judgment on this. But people are talking about Claude Julian has lost the room. Nobody knows what he's doing. What choices is he making? But I feel like, you know, the players you mentioned, Max Domi. Ben Sherrod, I know I mentioned him, but you know what I mean. And Jeff Petrie, yes, he did come over before Claude Julien did, but I mean, come on. Like, you can't, you can't look at this. And even Ilya Kovalchuk, like, he wasn't a bad player in LA. It's just that the system that they had was not allowing for him. And so if you have a player like that, to me, especially if you're, if you're a team like LA, you try and find a way to make that work. And so in Montreal, they they made it work and they made it work like he came in all of a sudden after like more than half of the season had been played they threw him in and he managed to start like he 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 was shining you know he was succeeding the overall conversation this season has been like is it time to get rid of Bergevin and then now in 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 the later stages like especially in the last few days i've been seeing calling for Julian's head and honestly, like, these are the things that we need to consider and talk about when we want to talk about making big decisions like that. I know it's not really in our power, 
But, you know, I mean, when we're armchair GMing, or I guess in, in the case of Bergevin, if we're armchair Molsoning, that's basically like my big rant about that and my big defense of Claude Julien. Uh, and not to say he doesn't have flaws, but I feel like, you know, as, as a fan base, we can get kind of like overly passionate and, and overly, I guess, overly critical as well. But you've been with us long enough to know that we love Claude Julian. And if you have been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Canadians is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Habs fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Habs fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. And in our final segment, we've got a few more questions that Scott is going to ask me, and I'm pretty sure one of them is going to really annoy me. I'm shocked that it comes from our frenemy of the show who's going to annoy us with a question. <laughs> uh, we have one... Okay, let's start with the others first. Yeah, I was going to say, we have uh, another one from Paul Brancho. It says, question, unpopular opinion. Concerning Quebec City getting a team, expansion or relocation, despite the likely benefits to the team competitiveness, it is unlikely to happen if Jeff Molson has sufficient power among NHL owners and the Habs are a provincial team right now. If the Nordiques return, does that open the door for the Habs to finally focus on getting the best candidate for a given job without the concern about language? Seems that dividing the province would fall almost along linguistic lines, wouldn't it? So I guess if there's another team that is primarily in Quebec needing a French-speaking coach, does that free the Canadians from the shackles, I guess, of having that requirement for everything, would they hire someone like Gerard Gallant or whomever who isn't a francophone coach? I, I have I have some strong feelings that I'm going to very carefully uh, try to express. So back in the day, this wasn't a consideration, right? The Canadians had English, English coaches, English general management, English, English players. Although yes, their, their, their superstars were predominantly francophone. So back in the day, this wasn't a thing, but also like the political climate changed a lot over that time. And I think that in Quebec as a whole, including Montreal, you're still talking about a mainly francophone province. Like main, when I say mainly, I mean overwhelming majority. And so the fact that there is a Quebec team or there would be a Quebec team doesn't necessarily release them from the the shackles, but I think that it would make people more likely to see it in the same way that I see it, which is first find the best candidate and then deal with the language issue. And if the person doesn't want to make an effort for a language, then they don't deserve to be the head coach of a franchise in this province. So I don't think that if there are two teams here, 
that the, you know, the Canadians will be released. I think if there are two teams here, there will be two teams with that burden. And I think that both teams should approach the issue the same way. Find the best player, uh, best player, find the best candidate available to be the GM or the coach and then like get them a translator, get them like lessons, have them do the, you know, like the, the lip service part where they introduce themselves in French all the time. They all do that anytime you get a player traded here or signed zero. They start with the bonjour for the Habs fans. And I think that both teams, like if there are two teams here, both teams should do the same thing because again, like you have to respect that the, that the, you know, majority of the fan base, especially the local fan base is francophone. And I'm going to get so many people being like, well, I'm not francophone and I'm from wherever and I'm a Habs fan. And what about all the Habs fans in Atlantic Canada? And, 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 I'm not saying that, you know, the Has fan base is only French. I'm saying that the people who are consuming the content about the team, the people who are watching on RDS, which is the main broadcaster of these games, I'm saying all of those people are francophone and you do need to respect that and you do, you do need to think about that as a, like they're your consumers, you're their product. So I, I, this is like a really long and roundabout way of saying that the language is still going to be an issue, but the way that the current team approaches it is incorrect, and the way that both teams approach it should be different. My biggest thing with it, and this is the only piece I want to say on this as an English-speaking person who lives in the United States, if the coach is willing to learn and put in the effort to immediately learn the language, then I don't. I think that should that they don't speak French as their main language should not be a barrier to hire. If they're willing to go and put in the work to learn it as while they're here then I don't think there should be an issue with it. But I'm also from the outside viewpoint on that. And that's all I've really got to say about that, to quote Forrest Gump. No, I was just going to say to the point of uh, Jeff Molson having a lot of power in the ownership uh, group or the NHL, I guess, Board of Governors, is that money talks louder than Jeff Molson does. So the NHL will go the way the money goes. So now we're on to the non-hockey questions. This one comes from Kevin Rogers. Uh, who do you guys want to win the Super Bowl and why? I'm rooting for the Chiefs because I want their coach Andy Reid to finally win the Super Bowl, and I'm rooting for the commercials to be good. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is my that is my thing. That is yours. I think Kevin is an Eagles fan, so the Andy Reid comes from that. Um, I'm gonna say the Niners just because there, for whatever reason, there are so many Montreal Niners fans, and I want my friends to be happy. Is that bad? Not at all. I'm just hoping for a good game. I don't even know how much I'm going to end up watching on Sunday. I will be at work all morning. Then we will be coming home, or I will be coming home. We're going to be recording episodes for the week, and then I'm going to try to stay awake for most of the evening, actually, and watch as much as I can. All right, Laura, are you ready for our final question? I'm ready for our final question. So this comes from, you know, Will Christ, who is the worst uh, guess what? I have a pod question. What's the <laughs> on-ice equivalent of asking to speak to the manager at Target? Follow-up, did I purposely use Target in this example because I know Canada doesn't have them? Oh, well. The thing about Target is if you are not familiar with what happened in Canada, please hit me up on Twitter and I will send you an article about all the ways that Target... Moving into Canada was a failure, and it's basically an entire case study 
of every little thing you should not do if you want your business to succeed, if you want to expand into another country. Anyway, I'm still bitter about it. Everybody knows how much I love Target. And there was one down the street for me that I used to go to all the time, and I still weep for it, even though it was Canadian Target, so there was never anything on the shelves. But anyway, so I was thinking about this, and I think the the on-ice equivalent of asking to speak to the manager is a staged fight. I'm going to go with asking for an offside review, like, two minutes after the potential offside of a goal happened. Like, you know, when someone was offsides, and then the play leaves the zone, and then comes back eventually, and they rule, and they go off, and they call for an offside challenge. Because one, it wastes everybody's time. A whole bunch of people get involved during wasting everybody's time. There's a lot of booing and onlookers, and everyone is upset. And quite frankly, no one likes that person. That, that's where I think my, uh, I'd like to speak to the manager at Target is in the NHL, is the offside challenge. Wow, yours was way better than mine. I might have thought about this a little bit while I was at work today. Speaking of work, this was a really good one for our podcast this week. I want to thank everyone once again for helping us surpass the milestone and, you know, bring us beyond expectations. And now we have to top the content. So we're going to be hitting up lots of guests and hoping that they'll say yes to be on our show in the coming months because we really do appreciate you guys and we want you to continue to listen to us. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, we're at LO underscore Canadians. Please follow us there. If you want to send us an email, please email LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow Scott on Twitter, he's at Scott Matla, not Scott Mental. <laughs> I and mean, I can skip be. Mittens, skip Mittens. <laughs> I think my favorite one is Skip Mittens. And if you want to follow me, I am at The Active Stick. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please click the subscribe button and make us even happier in February than you did in January. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you on Monday.